Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. Enjoy a drink with us while we tell you some wild stories of the brutal and bizarre variety. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we like to end our time with a chaser. Well, Declan, what are you going to tell us about today? Today, I'm going to be talking about the story of Anatoly Moskvin. How about you, Mom? What are you telling us today? Well, I am going to tell you about the Tunguska effect or... I'm going to start that over. I'm going to tell you about the Tunguska event, also called the Tunguska Explosion. But before I do that, I have a few shout outs I want to mention some other podcasts that uh, I would highly recommend everyone go and check out. Um, The first one is Kelly's Coffee and Crime Chat. It's hosted by Kelly. Good thing that it's hosted by Kelly since it's her coffee and crime chat. Uh, It talks, she talks a lot about Um, different crimes, but she also mentions the coffee that she's drinking each episode, and she talks a little bit about the coffee. She does a great job explaining the details of each case she's covering. She's done some cases that I haven't heard of before, which is great because I like to hear some unique stuff. And she is one of our fans too, and has uh, mentioned several of our episodes that she has listened to of ours. So I highly appreciate that. And another podcast that I want to mention was the Not Adding Up podcast. It's hosted by Patrick. He brings in different co-hosts each episode, and then they discuss the case together. So the the co-hosts don't really know what the story is per se or the details of it. And he gets to explain everything to them and get their genuine reactions to the cases. They talk about wrongful convictions, cold cases, and other unexplained topics that just don't add up. Uh, he has an yeah, he has an interest in true crime for a while, he said, and now he uses his interest and in powers of research for his own podcast. So I uh, highly recommend that one again. Uh, so both of those were Kelly's Coffee and Crime Chat podcast and then the Not Adding Up podcast. So the drink that I brought today is the Moscow Mule. A lot of people know classic. the Moscow Mule. Yes, it is a classic. And I brought it because it's Moscow, Russia, Um And my story is a Russian story. So about the drink, the Moscow Mule is made with two ounces of vodka, half an ounce of fresh lime juice, three ounces of ginger beer. There is an option to add a third of an ounce of simple syrup, and that's a rich simple syrup. So that's two parts of sugar and one part water, and you can garnish with a lime wheel. The instructions are to combine the vodka and lime juice, 
an optional simple syrup in a traditional copper mug or in a glass with ice and then top with a ginger beer. And of course, if you're going to add an art, a garnish, then you would add the garnish now, but I didn't add my garnish as usual. So are you ready to I'd give this a, a, a drink? Put a sprig of mint in mine for a garnish. And I don't oh. have the copper mug, but I do have a metal cup, so it's close enough. Yeah, I didn't do the copper mug either because I was lazy and put it in a glass instead. <laughs> so right. let's give this a sample. Are we ready? Yep. Oh, it's so mm. refreshing. Good as always. Yes. It's got a little tang with the lime and a little bite with the ginger beer. I am a big fan of the Moscow Mule, and I have been for a long time. <laughs> so let me tell you a little bit of the history about the Moscow Mule. Okay. It is debated as to when and how it originated, but it was sometime between 1941 and 1946. Some believe the drink was created by the U.S. distributor of Smirnoff Vodka and the owner of Cock and Bull Saloon, which is in Hollywood on the Sunset Strip. He was trying to generate his own brand of ginger beer and trying to get it more populated out there into the world. That's the ginger However, beer I use today. Is it? Nice. Yes. I couldn't find it. I had a hard time finding ginger beer at the store that I was shopping at yesterday. So I just bought Fever Tree, I think it was. Mm. They were very limited on their ginger beer options. Um, others say that the cocktail was created by the head bartender at the Cock and Bull Saloon because he was trying to get rid of an overstock of the ginger beer at the pub. Traditionally, it is served in a copper mug. Do you know why it is served in a copper mug? has something to do with like chemical reaction or something, right? No, it doesn't. Oh. I think a lot of people think <laughs> that because it's so specific. Uh, the tradition of it being in a copper mug is because the owner of the bar, the Cock and Bull Saloon, his girlfriend at the time had recently inherited a copper factory that made the mugs and they weren't selling well. So they started using the mug for the drink and the mugs had an engraving of a kicking mule on the side. That is the tradition of using the mug. That has nothing to do with, at least according to the history page that I was looking at, has nothing to do with any chemical reactions or anything else. Okay. And I had heard that before, but yeah, not according it to be, uh, an urban legend. Right. I was I was reading of this history on the Difford's Guide, which is the the bartending guide kind of guru website, and yeah, it said it had nothing to do with that. So, okay. The drink and the mug were popularized a short while later when the distributor of Smirnoff started going around to local bars, taking Polaroid fast developing pictures of the bartender at the bar holding a bottle of vodka. And the copper mug. He would then take those pictures to the neighboring bars, show those bartenders what they were missing out on, 
and that popularized the drink. I also learned that the Moscow Mule belongs to the Buck family of drinks, which just means that it contains alcohol, ginger ale or ginger beer, and lime. I believe that the first uh, type of Buck drink was a gin, gin Buck or Mm. a gin Ricky. Sounds pretty good, actually. Well, we'll have to try that soon then because I know you're such a big fan of the gin. And I could mask it with the lime and the ginger beer, and I probably wouldn't notice. Yeah, it'd probably blend in better than, well, I guess vodka doesn't really taste like much anyways, but. No, it blends in real well. That's probably why I enjoy drinking vodka, because I don't really taste it. Probably. I think that's why most people like it. Okay, are you ready for the story that is going with our Moscow Mule? Yes, I am ready. Okay, so this is the Tunguska event or explosion. There's a place in Siberia about five miles wide where solid blackened tree trunks stand upright, but they lack any branches, leaves, or bark. Surrounding this area for an estimated 10 to 20 miles, The forest has been decimated. Approximately 80 million trees lay on the ground, all facing away from the blackened trees in a radial pattern. What could have caused such devastation? In a desolate part of Siberia, the winters can be harsh with temperatures well below freezing that cause the ground to be totally frozen. The summers are better with mild climate and longer days, which turns the ground swampy. The area is sparsely populated today, but was even less populated in the early 1900s. One early morning at the end of June 1908, in an area near the Tunguska River, people were surprised by a bright light in the sky. Some described it as a red streak that caused the tops of trees to catch fire, while others described it as a blue-white cylinder that was airborne for 10 minutes and too bright to look at. Those who didn't see the anomaly certainly felt it when the earth began to shake and the air around them seemed to explode, knocking some people off their feet and causing windows to explode. That sounds like aliens to me. Well, that is potentially what happened. The explosion was so big it could be felt hundreds of miles away. It was even registered by seismic monitors across Europe and Asia and as far away as Washington, D.C. So I don't know very many alien things that have all that other stuff associated with it, but I'm also not an alien aficionado, so maybe Hmm. there's some out there. The shockwave was estimated to be the equivalent of a 5.0 magnitude earthquake. Witnesses described multiple explosions that sounded like artillery fire or cannon blasts. One witness said the blast lasted around 15 minutes each and occurred at least 10 times. I can't even imagine that. Yeah, that's probably very scary to hear. 
Right. Especially when you don't, you don't see anything around you. You just hear things and yeah, I can't, I, I don't want to have that. Thanks. But no, thanks. <laughs> For days, high level atmospheric debris clouds caused the night sky to be changed across Asia and Europe. One witness said you could even read a book at night because it was so light. It took over a decade for anyone to begin researching the event. Mostly because it was such a remote area, but there was a lot of unrest in Russia around the time too, apparently, but it was really far out to get to. Scientists believe the explosion was caused by a giant meteorite impacting the Earth. Kind of makes sense. Eventually, a Russian mineralogist named Leonid Kulik began studying the reports. Nearly 20 years after the explosion, Kulik led a group to the area he believed was the epicenter of the event. His goal was to find the crater and mine it for important minerals like iron. Kulik identified the area with the blackened upright trees surrounded by the radial pattern flattened forest. He believed this to be the point of impact, but was disappointed when he found no evidence of a crater. Through several expeditions, he continued his search. He found several sinkholes in the marshy area, which he thought could contain pieces of meteorite, but was never able to excavate them well enough to find the evidence he was looking for. Kulik spent about 10 years searching and excavating the region, and he never found any proof or fragments of meteorite. He intended to go back in the summer of 1940, but the expedition was canceled due to what would later become World War II. He joined the Russian army and was injured in 1941. He was captured by the Nazis and placed in a prison camp where he died in 1942. Damn. Yeah. Others have continued to research the event and search the area, but to this day, there have not been any meteorite fragments. There are numerous theories about what happened that day and the days after, ranging from angry gods to space rocks. So now we're going to cover, we're going to talk a little bit about maybe the alien that you suggested, but there were other stuff in there too. So... At the time of the event, some of the locals, remember this is 1908, believed an angry God was to blame. They thought they were being punished and that God had come and wreaked havoc on their world as a form of punishment. I think, I don't know that anybody still believes that, but maybe they do. (laughs) More recent theories include a nuclear-powered alien spaceship. There you go, Declan. A comet or a gas for. leak. Yeah. You know oh, it had yeah, to be just, there. It's all swamp gas reflecting off balloons. You know the old story. <laughs> exactly. Some scientists believe the explosion was caused by a large meteor that exploded in the Earth's upper atmosphere. They contend that an explosion like this would not have caused an impact crater, but would have caused a fireball that would have started fires, but the subsequent shock wave would have extinguished them, thus causing the charring of the trees, but no sustained fire. So they think basically a meteorite came in, hit at just an angle, and it was made of a specific kind of material that when it hit the Earth's atmosphere, it basically disintegrated. Mm-hmm. And because of that 
boom and shockwave that knocked people over, that that originally there was a fire started, but then that boom is what caused the fire to be extinguished. Hmm. But that wouldn't explain people seeing that blue cylinder. Right. Other scientists believe the debris cloud that caused the changes in the night sky was caused by a comet rapidly vaporizing upon entering the Earth's atmosphere. So apparently some comets have like ice crystals in them. And so when they vaporize, that ice crystal is left in the air, they were thinking. And that's why there was the debris cloud that caused light to refract in a certain way that lit up the night sky. Hmm. That was their explanation. It has also been suggested that a lake in the region, Lake Checo, could be the impact site. But scientists disagree on the reality of this, based on soil samples from the bottom of the lake that show the lake was likely formed before the event. So there have been numerous studies looking at the soil samples some say, oh, yeah, this was hundreds of years. This lake was formed 500, 600 years before this event. And another study said, no, no, it came. The soil shows it's perfectly in line. And then subsequent studies are also like, no, no, it's like two, 300 years old. So who the hell knows? I don't know. <laughs> Another theory is that there was a natural gas leak that came through the Earth's crust. The gas accumulated in the upper air, and when an ignition source like a lightning cloud or lightning occurred, then the gas exploded. However, a lot of the reports from witnesses say that it was a clear blue sky with not a cloud in sight. So I don't know how you would get that, but... Sure. I don't believe the swamp gas theory anyways. <laughs> yeah. To this day, no one truly knows what happened in Tunguska. And that is why it's my bizarre story. That's super bizarre. Right? I, what do you think it is? I think it's aliens. I don't. I honestly don't know. I just think it's so. I mean, I could see the explanation of a meteorite hitting at a certain angle to the atmosphere and then it exploding but they have found nothing no conclusive fragments anywhere none yeah you'd think there'd be some shrapnel over the area like some funky looking something rocks or something right nothing they have found nothing now on the flip side to that it's siberia are you yeah, gonna be Really searching <laughs> Siberia super closely. I mean, the temperatures there, I was looking it up. Average summer temperature, 70 degrees. Not bad. Um, but wintertime, it's like negative five Fahrenheit. I'm not searching for shit out in negative five Fahrenheit. Forget yeah, it. It's not going to happen. No. <laughs> I don't want to go Can out when it's 65 degrees Fahrenheit, let alone negative five. Yeah. I, 
the most looking I'm doing is opening the front door with a jacket on and looking in the front yard and being like, oh, I can't see anything. Going back inside. Right. I'm going to have gloves on. I'm going to have a scarf on. I'm going to have a heavy winter jacket. Might have snow pants and boots on just to open the door and then close it promptly again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not looking through the forest for some meteorite fragments. Nope. Nope. But it's really cool. I don't know if you've seen any of the pictures, and you can go look up the pictures online, but it there's just a forest, and the trees are flattened on the ground. Weird. Sounds super yeah. interesting. Right. And they're all like in that radial pattern around the blackened charred ones. So, I mean, you'd think if there was a meteor, meteorite, either one, something, that there would be an impact there. But no, there's nothing. They they have found nothing. So very spooky. Yep. Well, what is the brutal story that you have for us? So I'm going to be telling you a very strange story about a man in Russia. Hey, we double dipped on this for the drink this time. Yeah, I'm glad you chose two, that. because Two Russian stories for our Moscow mule. Nice. Yeah. Do you plan that? Nope. I okay. <laughs> I I thought of the drink ahead of time. I really wanted to make a Moscow mule and then I went searching for a Russian story. Okay, nice. So Anatoly Moskvin was born in the city of Gorky in Soviet Russia on September first, nineteen sixty six. He was very intelligent but struggled with making friends and being awkward. As a boy, Anatoly took up an interest in cemeteries and would often go for walks through them. While on one of his walks, he came across a funeral for an 11-year-old girl and was allegedly forced to kiss her corpse. He was only 13 oh. years old. <gasps> what? Oh, yeah. that's messed up. <laughs> Very fucked up. Mm -mm. And as you can see, the... Later in the story, you'll understand why this is so important. Mm, okay. He is quoted as saying, An adult pushed my face down to the waxy forehead of the girl in an embroidered cap, and then there was nothing I could do but kiss her as ordered. I kissed Ew. her once, then again, and again. Every night for the next few years, Anatoly would have dreams about this girl who would convince him to come back to the gravesite to visit her. The girl Did he go back dream, and visit her? The girl from his dream had convinced him to place the tooth of a classmate in her coffin, <gasps> to which little details are known other than the, that this plan was successfully completed and the girl oh. from his dreams stopped visiting him. Shit. Oh, yep. <laughs> is he still 13? Yeah. Oh, well, no, th this is over the next couple years. Oh, Jesus. Okay. 
As a young man, he graduated from the linguistics department of the Moscow State University. He was always interested in history, specifically history about burial rituals, occult, and death. As an adult, he lived with his parents in an apartment. And in 2009, the city he was living in had been experiencing an abnormal amount of grave robberies and desecration. So to combat this, a task force started to investigate the area. And after a terrorist attack on the Moscow airport, investigators traveled to a Muslim cemetery where they spotted Anatoly mid-grave desecration. <gasps> he was promptly arrested and the police decided to investigate him on the mass grave robberies. The police made their way to the home of Anatoly and his parents. And upon arrival, police were hit with an overwhelming odor. <gasps> What they found inside was completely and utterly disturbing. Inside the home of Anatoly Moskvin and his parents, police discovered the remains of 26 human bodies. Oh, shit! The remains, <laughs> the remains have been mummified by Anatoly and dressed up similarly to antique dolls. So those, like, little <laughs> porcelain dolls with, like, old-timey dresses on, that that's what they were all dressed up like. Dolls are creepy in, enough. Yeah, doll, for real. Dolls are already creepy. <sighs> now he's making them out of dead people. Oh, my God. He covered them in makeup and even put buttons in their eyes to make them appear lifelike. The bodies were posed on shelves, couches, and some were even holding books as if they were reading. When investigators tried to move the bodies, some of them had strange noises, and it was later discovered that Anatoly had put music boxes inside of them so he could interact with them. Among the bodies, police found things from the gravesite, such as necklaces or some metal plates from the, the headstone. And they also managed to find instructions for mummification and how to create the dolls as well as a list of their birthdays so he could celebrate it with them. Anatoly was cooperative with police and told them that he had been doing this for up to 10 years, and since her parents were gone for most of the year, they were unaware of his activities and assumed that they were just real dolls. After psychiatric analysis, it was determined that Anatoly was paranoid schizophrenic and was admitted to a psychiatric hospital. He was charged with 44 accounts of abusing graves and corpses. In an interview, Anatoly is quoted as saying, You abandon your girls. I brought them home and warmed them up. <sighs> and that is the story of Anatoly Moskvin. Okay. I have questions. <laughs> okay. So, the dolls, dead people dead people mm -hmm. dolls are in his house and he's living there with his parents so it was his parents apartment but they traveled a lot so they were uh, gone for a lot of the year so it was mostly just him living there by himself sometimes the they'd dolls. be there but yeah and yep. they were just like oh sure it's another doll they didn't notice the smell 
they just thought that he liked making dolls and that was his like passion <laughs> but the smell the smell I, I can't explain that i don't know i don't <laughs> i'd be pretty upset if i came home and it smelled like dead bodies but maybe things are different in russia okay so you have a house and you live in it every day and maybe there's a funky smell you know like say you cook with onions uh, after a few days your nose acclimates to it and you don't really smell it anymore you leave the house you come back it smells stronger than ever and you definitely notice it you can't tell me that those people were gone came back and then didn't go it smells like death in here well uh one of anatoly's neighbors uh he got interviewed and he said i every time i walked past it smelled horrible but i just thought it was something to do with the plumbing under his apartment unit so maybe that's what his parents thought too oh yeah okay i mean we're not talking about but i don't know the apartment situation in russia but some apartments in other countries well even in the u.s are not in the greatest condition so okay yeah. maybe i don't know Still, i really have I a hard know. time buying that yeah me too. that's that's a little too far for me any music boxes in them yeah i'm not sure what they mean by that i think it's like similar to those little ballerina like jewelry boxes yeah. but i have no idea that's what i was thinking oh yeah, so they think like. they think all the bodies were stolen from graves, not he didn't kill anybody. He just desecrated the graves. Yeah, yeah. He never murdered anybody. He just steal their bodies after they were dead. Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, that's a good part, I guess. But still. Yeah. Not not particularly brutal story, but fucking nasty. It's so. How old was he again when he got caught? Arrested in two thousand nine, and he was born in nineteen sixty six. Okay, enough, so it was like fifty, yeah, forty, fifty. Oh, geez, around there. Please. Yeah. My goodness. Wow. Not a cool guy. Mm -mm. No, yucky. Declan, what chaser do you have for us today to get that palate cleansed from that disgusting doll dead body story? So I was on YouTube the other day, and I saw this uh, video come up talking about Josh Nally. And Josh, he always wanted to be on a TV show. And his idea of getting onto a TV show was he wanted to be one of just the dead bodies, like someone just lying on the floor. So what? every day for a year, he would post a TikTok of him just pretending to be dead. Like there was one uh, of him like laying face down in a creek 
and his like dogs are running around like sniffing him and like trying to make sure he's okay. It's pretty funny. And uh, eventually, a year later, he got a role on CSI as one of the dead bodies. So he wanted to be an extra on a TV yeah. show as a dead body. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really funny. Oh, my gosh. You, Mom? What, is, what is your chaser for us today? My chaser is a TV recommendation, that, a show that we recently found on Netflix. It's called Drink Masters, and it is a competition for bartenders. So, Ooh. yeah, they have a bunch the of bartenders show. from all over the place. I think it's new. I don't know. I didn't really pay attention. It newly popped up in our feed, and so we decided to start watching it. And they, we've only seen the first episode, but I thought that it would be really good to talk about on the show because it ties in so well with our show. They, uh, the first episode was Margarita's Your Favorite, and they had a whole bunch of different, I can't remember how many bartenders they start with, but they gave them, you know, the parameters of you have to take a margarita and make it, it's your inspiration basically and make us something different. So they had all sorts of different combinations of things and they had three judges on there. The people on there I've never heard of before, celebrities, etc. Don't know who any of them are because I'm old probably. But the uh, drinks that they came up with and the different combinations of things and how they did some stuff. It was really cool. They did like one of a couple of the people made uh, tequila, like margarita shots, quote unquote, in the rind of like the lemon or the lime or an orange or whatever, and then cut it and then like put tahine or salt or whatever on there so it was a drink and then they also had a little jello shot thing and that was pretty fun to watch i've seen that done before but only on pinterest and things like that so it was it was really cool i'm we're gonna check out the rest of the series yeah it was pretty fun yeah i'm definitely gonna check that out after this i figured you would dig it (laughs) Alrighty, Mom, I had a good time hearing about your possibly alien-related story. Thank you for sharing it with us. You're welcome. My pleasure. I love you. I love you, too. We'll chat later. Thanks for listening and supporting our podcast. We would love for you to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to give us a five-star rating, we would forever be grateful. You can contact us at our email via thebrutalandbizarre at gmail.com or on our Instagram at thebrutal underscore bizarre underscore boozy.